Welcome to Real Estate Agent Superstars. I'm your host, RJ Baxter with Intercap Lending. And today I've got an awesome, awesome superstar guest. I have Jay Holland from listings.com. And Jay is joining us to talk about his unique model in the real estate industry, how he got into that niche, how he does it. Uh, Jay is focused on investment properties and helping investors build wealth over time and uh, finding the right properties. And he also has a property management arm to his business. So we're going to get into all that and more. Welcome to the show, Jay. Thank you, Roger. I appreciate it. Thank you for having me. Yeah, great to have you. So tell us a little bit more about yourself. What's your background? What did you do before real estate? So uh, I guess mostly what I did before real estate, I, I was in the Marine Corps for five years. I enlisted uh, did a year of college in Florida. Uh, thought college wasn't for me at the time. Uh, joined the Marines, got uh, stationed uh, originally in California and then over to Okinawa, Japan, spent some time in Australia. And then my last duty station was in Denver and uh, decided to get out, didn't want to make it a career and did a few, did a few th different things, did a recruiting for a little bit for a few months and worked at a technology company for a few months and finally decided that, you know, real estate was something that I was interested in and, and wanted to pursue. I had, you know, some family in the real estate industry, my cousins, my dad back, back on the East coast where I grew up and, uh, fell in love with Colorado, decided to stay and, and, uh, just kind of jumped into real estate full time back in 1999. Okay. Okay. And did you right off the bat, did you have this idea to focus on the investment side of things? No, not really. So, you know, I got into real estate just like everybody else, I think primarily does uh, to help buyers and sellers with their primary real estate needs. And what, uh, what that kind of evolved into because of the connections that I had when I first, first started my, my real estate practice was, you know, working with some veterans. So I had, uh, you know, the opportunity to help some of the, the folks that I knew from, you know, from the base where I'd, I'd worked previously. And a lot of those guys that bought houses with their VA loans, you know, they, then they got orders to go uh, get stationed in other places and other states all around the, you know, all around the world and the U.S. And the equity at that time wasn't growing as rapidly as it has here in Colorado over the past you know, decade. So, you know, maybe uh, back then in 2000, 2001, the, the houses in Colorado were appreciating at you know, one or two percent per year. It was a kind of stagnant market mm -hmm. from an appreciation standpoint. So what happened then is, you know, these guys that did their VA loan, and as you know, you can finance your funding phase. So you're getting basically 100 financing. Then you've got your, you know, if you're looking to sell your house after a couple of years, you have your real estate commissions and your title insurance fees and your property taxes and things that sellers normally pay here. But even if I, even if I offered to do it for free to help out a friend, uh, they were still upside down. So you know, the, the kind of the goal at that time was, hey, why don't, you know, the market's doing well, it is appreciating, but it's only going up a few percentage points. We needed to go up more before, you know, you can sell your house and not have to come out of pocket. So why don't we try to rent it for, you know, for a few years, let that appreciation grow. And if the rent covers your payment, then, you know, you're in a good, you're in a better situation than having to write a check for $10,000 to sell your house. So that's mm -hmm. kind of how the property management business was born, you know, back in the early 2000s, just to help out those folks that were veterans and, and not, you know, not having enough equity in their house to be able to sell. So at that time uh, of my career, I was with uh, Remax Southeast, and we devised a property management system that allowed us to, you know, manage property, you know, underneath the Remax umbrella, which nobody had ever done before, and, and not in Colorado. 
Okay. Was that something that a lot of people at Remax were using or just me and your team? No, I mean, we invented it. So we were the first ones to do it. And uh, it, it really wasn't a thing that, you know, that Remax broke. You know, property managers were like a, a separate thing that they only did, uh, you know, uh, most real estate agents, most realtors just did sales. And there were a few property management companies in town that really only focused on, you know, property management and, and not many people did both. So uh, it was a new concept for Remax. You know, we had to get it approved all the way, you know, up to the, you know, the top level. And uh, once we got all the pieces in place, they said, yep, go ahead and, and you can start doing this. So, Okay. Interesting. So take us back to that era. When did things start to take off in Colorado as far as the market goes with appreciation? Yeah. So as you know, we, we had a huge run up before the, before the crash, so to speak. And uh, once, uh, I think it was Clinton was president at the time, he, he passed a couple laws that allowed uh, easier access to financing. Uh, there were a ton of programs out there for uh, seller assisted down payment. You know, we had the neighborhood gold stuff back then, uh, the, mm -hmm. all the, you could write a you could write a contract at you know 110 percent of the of the list price, and the seller could pay you know three or four percent in closing costs and six percent or seven percent in a down payment, and and you could basically buy a house with no money down back then. And and you probably remember from, uh, you know, the, I think the movie The Big Short did a lot of uh, did a lot of uh, uh, pieces on this. But uh, you could literally walk into a house with no job no income, no assets, and just sign your name and buy a house with no down payment. It was, it was ridiculous. So many people were doing that, and that caused prices to run up. And so we had a ton of uh, you know, appreciation happening in the market, which was probably a little false due to the, you know, the lending conditions. And mm -hmm. then, of course, you know, 2007 happened, and, eight, and you know, then we started seeing some foreclosures and some investment opportunities. And you know, really from that point is when I, I kind of looked at the market uh, with uh, several of my clients who were very interested in buying, you know, distressed assets, buying short sales, buying foreclosures, and turning those into rental properties. Um, at the time, you know, many of us were, were very bullish on the future of the Colorado uh, market, on the, just the future of the Colorado economy, and mm -hmm. and getting into the you know the rental property uh, business uh, was very attractive, especially with the opportunities you know that the foreclosures presented. So underneath the, you know, the REMAX umbrella, I was able to help investors kind of purchase those properties. And then we would find tenants to uh, live in those homes. And then we do property management. We became more of a one-stop shop kind of during that era of helping investors identify, you know, good properties to buy that would make good rentals, helping them buy those rentals, and then transitioning from, uh, you know, the sales agent once that uh, transaction was completed to the full service management where we would place tenants and then do full service property management. So it really grew, it really grew out of that, you know, pretty substantially. Did, did it grow organically for you at that point or was, were you doing some things to bring to attract clients? Yeah, no, that was, it was mostly organic. I mean, we did a lot of business by referral, of course. Um, you know, uh, uh, we didn't have any kind of um, direct marketing out there saying, Hey, this is kind of who we are and what we're doing. And we really still don't, uh, you know, our business today, um, almost 20 years later, we're, we're still uh, mostly business by referral. Um, you know, we help our current clients grow their portfolio. We do a lot of 1031 exchanges uh, where they're you know, selling one asset that has a bunch of equity and, and uh, rolling that equity into two assets or three assets uh, and then leveraging those up to instead of owning one property, own three without coming out of pocket because you're just you know, leveraging up the equity that you currently have. 
And you can do that tax deferred with that 1031 exchange. So, you know, we do a ton of those. And, you know, right now we're managing, you know, just under 400 homes. Uh, we've sold almost all of those to our investor clients. Uh, you know, we do get some clients that get referred to us that come to us with a portfolio where they say, hey, I've already got five properties. I've already got four properties. And I'd like you to, you know, look at managing this and then also help me to kind of grow it out and, and build it and continue to acquire and, and you know, make it bigger. Okay. What kind of challenges do you see trying to manage two businesses, basically? Yeah, I, I really lean on my employees. I've got a great team. Uh, you know, we have 16 full-time W-2 employees now. Uh, you know, we have had a little bit of turnover the last couple of years with just COVID and the market and, and everything that's kind of happened, uh, you know, in, in the country. But uh, you know, our, our core group, we have employees that have been with us for, you know, five years, seven years, and uh of course, uh, you know, my, my fiance, Stacy, who's licensed, she really runs the operations of the property management side. So, you know, she's absolutely amazing and, and you know, kind of keeps that business, you know, really trucking along at full speed. Um, I can focus more on the acquisition side and, and do the sales for the team and, and, you know, do a little bit more client development. And she can kind of run the day-to-day operations of the employees as well as, you know, all the things that come with property management maintenance requests, rent collection, uh, you know, construction projects, you know, those type of things. Okay. Are, are all 16 on the property management side or do you have some on the real estate side too? As far as just, yeah, just one employee that uh, works on the uh, real estate sales side. Uh, you know, Kara's our transaction manager who uh, handles all of our uh, listings and sales when we're buying property or selling properties. She does all the transaction coordination and she runs the contract calendar and, and you know, schedules the inspections and does all the normal transaction stuff. She's also licensed as well. Uh, so she can help, you know, in a higher level function of someone who, you know, isn't a licensed, uh, you know, assistant. Okay. Do you have other licensed agents that work with you? Yeah, actually. Uh, so we've got a great, uh, great team of licensed agents. Um, a couple of our leasing agents actually have real estate licenses, but just strictly on the sales side, I've got a phenomenal agent, Jordan, who uh, he lives in Pueblo now is where he grew up. He was in the Denver market for a while and he went to the Breckenridge market for a while. And now he's back in his hometown of Pueblo. He's mm-hmm. instrumental at helping us acquire new properties uh, because of uh, the sales conditions and the rental conditions that we've experienced in Colorado over the past, uh, you know, really decade. Uh, we've had to expand our, our business and expand our portfolio north and south of the Denver metro area and primarily south. Uh, the Colorado Springs has been a phenomenal market for uh, return on investment. And the Pueblo market is also a very strong market for you know, return on investment. And having Jordan there you know, as a full-time agent uh, with all the connections that he has from you know, growing up there and living there, we really get uh, advantage to deals that are presented to us as, as well as you know, his knowledge of the local market there. So uh, he's, he's one of my, uh, my, top, my top guys and he's really helpful on the acquisition side of, of identifying and buying new, you know, new properties for our investor clients. Okay, nice. So walk me through how you identify properties. What's your process? What does that look like? Yeah. So we, we look at uh, deals from all sources. So, you know, we have connections with wholesalers that present us deals. We have connections with other agents who are out there, uh, you know, going on listing appointments and, and they get to a house and they're like, Ooh, I don't think, I can, I can sell this. It's a little distressed, you know, uh, structurally or cosmetically. It might need some work and, and, uh, or the, the seller's got a situation where they need to sell quickly because of a you know, personal situation, a divorce or, or, you know, bills that are piled up and things like that. 
And those listing agents, because of our relationship and our network, will actually call us directly and say, hey, I've got a deal. You know, maybe you're, you know, your guys might be interested in this one. Of course, we have multiple listing service, the MLS, so we can see every property that's listed. And, you know, our first step is we typically, you know, on paper using the, you know, online resources that we have, we look at, you know, what we think it might rent for, what we think it might be worth from a you know, sales perspective, you know, using the expertise that we have and the tools that are available to us as realtors online. And then we'll go out and get physical eyes on the property. We'll walk the property, uh, kind of do like a really thorough walkthrough, not quite an inspection yet, but we'll, you know, with the 25 years experience that we have, we, we know what to look for. Uh, we know how to identify, you know, issues that, that are going to be, uh, you know, critical to making sure that the investment's profitable. And once we get once we get eyes on it, we've run our numbers, you know, on the back end, we can go ahead at that point and make an offer and try to secure that property with a contract. Uh, you know, we do write all of our contracts assignable because at that moment we don't know, you know, which investor that property might be a good fit for. So, uh, you know, we basically write it assignable. Uh, usually it's in, you know, my name or one of my entities that that, uh, that we own and we'll get the property under contract at that point. We'll go through a formal inspection, uh, start the financing piece so we can get an appraisal ordered. And then during that first 10 days, we will uh, present it to our, our investor clients who are kind of waiting for, you know, for the next deal. And uh, some investors say, no, you know, this isn't the right one for me. I'll wait for the next one. And then, you know, eventually we get down to an investor who, you know, down the list, so to speak, that'll say, yeah, this is great. Let's go ahead and do it. Uh, I'm always the last guy at the end of the line. So I, I don't cherry pick deals, you know, for my clients. Uh, you know, if I did that, I'd be a retired real estate investor, not a you know real estate broker supporting their needs. So, uh, but I'll never write a deal that I don't you know believe in myself. So, uh, you know, if there's, if it's just not a good time for everybody who's on our list for one reason or another, then that, then I do get to buy that one. And, you know, over the last couple of years, we have been able to, uh, you know, add a few, you know, personal deals to our portfolio, but, you know, those are the deals that we offer to our investors first and they don't, you know, for one reason or another, uh, decide not to pull the trigger on. Okay. How big of a list of investors do you have? It fluctuates, you know, uh, at any given time, you know, we at least have a couple, uh, I'd say three or four probably right now with the way the market conditions are, uh, you mm -hmm. know, as you know, as, as the world knows, unfortunately, these are the highest interest rates we've seen in, in 27 years and maybe longer, but that's, you know, that's the stat I read last week. So, you know, financing is a big component of, of purchasing these investment deals for most people. Most investors don't buy with all cash. Most investors see the power of leveraging and, and putting a mortgage on a property that they're going to be renting out and letting the tenants you know, pay that mortgage down. There's many, many advantages to, to doing it that way. Uh, you know, also, you know, you can, you know, if you had a, a fixed amount of money, if you had $300,000 to invest, you could buy three properties with $100,000 down each instead of, you know, one property for 300, you know, in cash, right? So, uh, and now you've got 900,000 or a million dollars in the marketplace versus just 300,000. So leveraging up is a, is a great tool. Uh, the problem right now with today's world is that, you know, at eight or 9% par interest rates for invest investors, uh, it's a, it's a terrible return. You know, when you look at the numbers com comparatively to what it was just a few years ago. And, you know, I've looked back, uh, you know, recently because of where the interest rates are now to kind of see historically where they were when we started and, you know, we were doing investment deals uh, in the 2009, 10, 11 range that, you know, investors were getting uh, rates at 7, 8% back then for investment property. And then obviously 10 years later, 12 years later, they're getting, 
investment rates at four percent or three and a half percent on investment property. And now, of mm-hmm. course, they're you know they're up in the you know eights, uh, you know with with buy downs, right? They're not even at eight at par right now. So, I mean, you tell me that's your world, but uh, you know, so to, to answer the question, I guess how many guys do we have on our list at any given time? When the market w- was favorable with interest rates, you know, we we had. 15, 20, 30 people saying, hey, find me a deal. I'm ready to, to buy it. And, you know, currently right now, we probably have three or four, you know, serious investors that are like, if you find me a good deal, pull the trigger. And obviously with the rates, the way they are right now, we're not finding as many good deals. Uh, there's not a lot of inventory in the market. As everybody knows, it's a, it's a very constrict, uh, constricted market as far as inventory. Um, we've got almost the fewest houses on the market that we've ever had right now. And, uh, and that's likely due to the, you know, the interest rate world. Yeah. So, so how have you identified properties then in today's market? So we're still seeing the same, you know, sources that we've always seen there, you know, there's always, unfortunately, there's always divorce, you know, in the world. Uh, unfortunately, there's, there's always, you know, people that, that pass on and move on. And, uh, you know, so we're seeing a lot of estate sales and we're seeing, you know, the same number of, Divorce sales and estate sales are currently in the market, and those can be distressed assets. You know, those are uh, folks that are motivated. Sometimes the properties aren't, you know, cosmetically, uh, you know, the best that they could be, and so those, you know, that flow of, of properties hasn't really, you know, been interrupted. Um, but the uh, the kind of the normal cherry picking deals, uh, you know, through the normal MLS and resale is is definitely a lot harder with the lack of inventory. Yeah. Yeah. So it's it's difficult in this market to identify properties that make financial sense. Is what you're saying? Because of the interest rates, absolutely. Like you know, if we look at ten deals today, a year ago, all of them would have made perfect sense. Two years ago, all of them would have made perfect sense. Maybe one makes sense now with the way that the interest rates mm-hmm. have adjusted to the you know to the current to the current market. So uh, it's mostly on on that platform. And you know what, a lot of our savvy investors know is that. You know, if they can get into a, a good property now at a good purchase price, and then they, you know, that's the thing with the way interest rates are right now, our buyers aren't competing against forty other you know buyers. They're not uh, they're they're not paying a hundred thousand over the asking price and waiving inspections and doing all the crazy things that happened you know over the last two and a half three years. Uh, right now, it's it's more of a buyer's market. It's I wouldn't call it a full buyer's market yet, but I think we're moving that way. But the uh, the market is more favorable to buyers than it's ever been, you know, going back three years. So we're able to, to get property at the right price point. And if the investors are savvy enough to realize that the mortgage world is temporary and they, you know, are, are confident that in the next five years to 10 years, they'll be able to do a refinance and lower their, you know, lower their payment on, on the, uh, the investment that they buy due to the interest rates, you know, dropping and, and being able to refinance. Then you know they're not hesitant to pull the trigger and, and get into a deal that maybe last year would have made a lot more sense, and then this year makes a little sense. But uh, mm-hmm. a few years from now, it might make a lot more sense, and they'd be glad that they did it. So uh, that that takes an experienced investor to kind of see that big picture with the mortgage world, and someone that's been doing it for a while and has seen the fluctuations in the you know in the mortgage market. And you can tell a new investor, hey, this is what the market's done. This is what it. It could do. Nobody has a crystal ball, but here's the scenario. If it doesn't change, you're still locked in for 30 years. This is your worst case scenario. You know, rents typically go up. Your mortgage likely won't go up. If, you know, if you're locked mm-hmm. in for a 30 year payment, you know, obviously taxes and insurance can go up, but that's basically it. 
And the best case scenario is you can refinance and now your your 7% return becomes a 10% return or your 7% return becomes a 12 or 14% return uh, with that advantage of a, a refinance. So uh, the investors that have been in the market for a while and have seen the fluctuation in interest rates over time and understand that you know it's not a fixed constant uh, are still active in the market and looking for deals. Yeah, and we're seeing that in the, in the primary residence space too, people that are savvy and, and thinking about the situation it's less competitive so they're going after the properties now when they can get a better price and then looking at that refinance down the road so that's a really good point on that yeah if you're into cliches or, or i guess you know uh cute little sayings they say you know marry the house date the rate right that's what all the lenders are, yeah. are telling buyers right now so uh it's mm-hmm. true uh on the investment side too i mean you know the when you leverage an uh, investment property you're typically doing a 30-year fixed, you know, mortgage. Some of our investors do do the seven-one, you know, arm or a seven-six arm. Uh, you're looking down the road seven years and locking it in for just that first seven-year period. But most of our investors choose the 30-year fixed route, and you know that rate's not. I I've been doing this almost 25 years, and I've never known a person in 25 years that has kept their mortgage, you know, that amount of time. Right? I, I've never kept a mortgage. I've ever had, you probably have never kept a mortgage either. You're selling the property, paying the mortgage off, you're refinancing, changing the terms of the, of the loan. Uh, you're not just making that payment, you know, over 30 years, one at a time. That just doesn't happen in today's world. You know, my parents did that. I'm sure my grandparents did that. But in today's world, uh, it, it doesn't happen. Nobody makes 360 payments on a property without looking at, you know, upgrading their loan or, or you know, refinancing when that opportunity comes around. So, mm-hmm. um, where do you see this market going? What's your um, forecast? Thanks. Yeah. So short short term, I think uh, it is headed a little bit more toward uh, you know buyer's market. There's a lot of uncertainty in the you know inflation numbers uh, economically in Colorado. I think we're still strong. Uh, you know, we were awesome in Colorado before COVID hit and the you know all the shutdowns. We were probably one of the top two state economies from an unemployment standpoint. You know, in the country, and the uh, the thing about Colorado's economy is extremely diverse, right? We don't have all of our eggs in, in one specific basket, right? We have we have so many different industries that flourish here, and uh, they're industries that you know usually have good, high-paying jobs, and and you know those industries will continue to flourish. So I don't think economically we're going to have an issue, which obviously affects, affects the real estate market. We have more people moving to Colorado than are leaving every year still. Uh, they're coming from higher priced areas. And even though Colorado prices are you know, really high, especially for the people that have lived here for 25 years or longer, they look at the prices and they go, wow. Uh, but we still have higher priced areas in the country that see Colorado as a discount and, and come here for the mm-hmm. wonderful weather and the wonderful people and the, and the way of life that is, is superior to almost every other place you know, in the U.S. And so... That drives the real estate market that, you know, with supply and demand, we still have really high demand here. Uh, The issue with the market right now is supply. Um, We have what I call anchor mortgages, and I didn't invent that term, but it's it's thrown around in our, you know, in our space all the time. Uh, People that have currently a mortgage in the two and a half to three and a half, you know, under four fixed interest rate. Right now, for them to make a move, if they want to upgrade or if they want to move closer to work or if they just have more more children, their families increase and they need more space or they, you know, they want to buy a bigger house with a home office or, or whatever. The things that people normally do as they, as they grow in life, 
they're really anchored by that current mortgage that they have because for someone to even do a lateral move, you know, if you're just moving from a $700,000 house to a $700,000 house across town to be closer to job or school or friends or whatever, the interest rate's going to almost double your payment from what you're currently paying right now. And mm-hmm. no one's going to do a lateral move to double their payment. And then upgrading, you're, you're tripling your payment, which you know most people can't mm-hmm. afford to do. So, uh, and, and that's just taking the equity you have in your current house and, and moving it over to you know your next house and then just getting the same loan size with a much higher interest rate, right? So, so those anchor mortgages are really restricting inventory from coming onto the market. And people that are financially fortunate enough to be able to make a move or if they're relocating for a job change and they are leaving Colorado because they, they got an amazing opportunity to move to someplace where their, you know, their pay is going to be, you know, much higher and it's a, you know, or closer to family or whatever reason that they have, they're going to keep that asset. They're going to keep that primary residence as a rental home because, you know, rents are at an all time high due to the uh, scenario, due to the formula of, of housing cost. you know, as prices go up, as, as interest rates go up, rents also go up, you know, that's what happens historically. And so somebody with a, you know, two and a half percent interest rate and their payment on their house is, you know, $2,500 a month, the rent on that house might be $3,800 or $4,000 a month for market rent, you know, on that same home. Or if their payment is, you know, $1,700 a month, the property could rent for $2,700 a month. So getting an extra $1,000 a month in income as your property continues to go up in value, as your mortgage continues to get paid down, you know, now by your tenant is an attractive scenario to a lot of people. So what that does is it increases, you know, rental property to the market, which is, you know, great for our property management business, but it's, it's terrible for the real estate market in general because it's still restricting the supply of, of homes that are available for sale. And that's causing prices to go up because there's, you know, there's not a lot available for sale. So with the supply and demand, you know, formula, we're, we're looking at steady, you know, steady demand and limited supply. Prices go up, right? So... Uh, so that's kind of what's happening with the market right now. I think that that, that demand is going to continue to dwindle. The d- demand goes down every time the rates go up, demand goes down. So, uh, you know, unfortunately, it's knocking a lot of people out of affordability. Uh, you, know, the, mm-hmm. you know, home prices have gone up you know, 27% in the last five years. And, you know, uh, uh, people's wages haven't gone up 27% in the last five years. And home payments with interest rates have, you know, gone up. 200% in the past three years, right? So uh, the cost of housing is, is extremely high right now comparatively, and, and that's going to limit demand. And once demand starts to be limited, that's when we're going to see you know, prices kind of stabilize or, or maybe retract a little bit where we're in a more of a truer buyer's market where houses are taking longer to sell, offers are coming in below list price, uh, sellers are having to do price reductions, you know, kind of like it was uh, 20 years ago, uh, 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. What, what do you think it'll take to unlock the inventory problem we have right now? Uh, interest rates need to be below 5% par. And, and that's really going to be, you know, that's really going to be the number. I think um, if you look at the average mortgage that's out there across the board and, and uh, you know, your industry publishes a lot of stats on this and, and you know, they kind of, they let us know, you know, what the existing average mortgage looks like um, for people to make a move, to be able to, you know, hit that affordability sweet spot, uh, I think that our current market right now, especially in the Denver metro area, is like a it's like a bucket of gasoline, uh, you know, dumped onto a pile of uh, kindling wood, and and interest rates are either a match or they're or they're a, a fire hose, right? And and right now we've got 
really high rates, which is like just water on that pile. And uh, if we if the rates drop below you know five percent uh, you know par for for purchases, the market's going to be the most ridiculous market we've ever seen you know in my lifetime and probably ever. Uh, you know, we went through the 2020, 2021 market where we had buyers lined up literally around the block to get into an open house. And, mm-hmm. you know, there were, there were 40 offers on a house within three hours of listing with, you know, a hundred thousand over the asking price and, you know, throwing in my Broncos tickets and, you know, uh, everything else you could think of, I'll, you know, bake you a cake once a week for the rest of your life. If you accept our offer, just anything to, to, you know, be successful in winning that bid in a, in a competitive bid scenario. That is going to come back and it's going to come back worse because people that were, were participating in that market and weren't successful, they said, hey, this is too stressful. We can't handle this. Uh, you know, we're sick of making 50 offers that aren't accepted. You know, we're sick of looking at, you know, uh, 30 houses every weekend. Like we, we can't do this anymore. We're just going to rent. We're just going to we're just going to pause and, and wait. And, and we see the benefit and the value of homeownership for creating wealth long term and, and Everybody gets that, but they were so you know stressed and, and distraught with the market conditions that they that they bowed out, and those people are really regretting you know that decision right now. Most of them are because they're seeing that they can't participate you know in the housing market like they could have due to the interest rates being where they are. So if the interest rates drop again and give them that opportunity, they're definitely going to take advantage of it, whatever it takes. They're going to stand in line to get into a house. They're going to, you know, write those 50 offers again. They're, you know, they, they know that real estate is one of the greatest tools to uh, create wealth and c- to create, you know, generational wealth uh, in the United States. And it's, uh, they're not going to let that opportunity, you know, slip again. And then we also have all the, all the folks that are just normally waiting in line to become homeowners that are priced out of the market right now due to interest rates. So, if we see rates drop, you know, at five or below, the market in Colorado is going to be the, you know, the hottest seller's market we've ever seen ever. And it's going to be a, a frenzy, unfortunately. I mean, I, I don't necessarily like to participate in markets like that, but, you know, you have to help people uh, to fulfill their needs. So. Well, one more question I have for you is um, what advice would you give to other agents that are looking to succeed in the business. You've been, you've had longevity. You've been doing this for a long time. You've had a lot of success. What are a couple tips that you would give other agents? Uh, you know, that's a great question, RJ. And, and I do get asked that a lot. And, and my answer changes, you know, day to day. Um, so I, I don't know if you ask me this again next week, I may give you a different answer. But one thing that, that I can definitely say today is, you know, you have to show up and you have to put the work in. You know, you have to be available um, you know, real estate is not a, you know, a glamour industry like you, you may think it is because of HD TV shows and, and you know, TikTok and, and Instagram and, and what people try to make it make it out to be. Uh, just like any job uh, that's you know, sales based or commission based where you're not you know, guaranteed a paycheck, it's it is a 100 percent effort based industry. And, you know, you get out of it what you put into it. And, and if you work harder than anyone else, you'll get paid more than anyone else. And you'll be more successful if that's how you, you know, measure your success than anyone else. So, you know, really showing up uh, and, and getting it done and, and not, you know, not being a slacker, I guess, is probably the best tip I can tell like a new agent. You know, set your expectations correctly. And then, you know, it's a grind, but you got to grind. And the folks that, that do that are going to be, you know, the ones that come out on top, you know, in the long term. 
And the second thing that I would say to you know newer agents in the business is you know get a mentor. You know I was lucky enough at the the very beginning of my career I had a, a few good mentors that you know gave me some some great tips and kind of set me off on you know the right path with you know with certain things and uh, you know the, uh, the having a mentor is definitely something I think you know find a mentor that you can you know get advice from that you trust and you know that's willing to share and, and that would. You know, that would also help you out if you're if you're a new agent in the business right now. Yeah, those are great tips, Jay. I mean, hard work trumps everything. There's no magic uh, bells and whistles to, you know, propel your business. I mean, that putting in that sweat equity does it. So I appreciate you saying that. Yeah. Um, well, awesome. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to join me. It's, I know you're super busy with two simultaneous businesses going and, and uh, you know, thriving in this market. And um just thanks again for joining us. Of course. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Love to come back anytime. Cool. Well, uh, thank you everybody that's listening to, um, my name is RJ Baxter with Intercap Lending. Please subscribe and share this episode. That's how the word gets out about us and have a great rest of your day.